Chapter 153 of Varney the Vampire, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Varney the Vampire, Volume 3, by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter 153 The Assembly, Sir Francis's First Overtures to Mary Stevens, The Breakfast Scene, and The Honor Declined. Sir Francis Varney, as soon as he reached his hotel, changed his habiliments, and sought the Frasers, whom he found ready for the assembly, and somewhat fearful he was not coming. But he easily excused himself on the score of illness, and then they persuaded him to remain at their abode, and they would all do so too. But at the same time Sir Francis insisted that his indisposition was but temporary, and he would rather visit the place, as it was a ball night. Thus persuaded, they agreed, and the five of them proceeded to the assembly rooms, where they amused themselves as fashionable people usually do. They danced, and were highly delighted with the place, which was certainly of a very superior description, contained the very elite of the Bath visitors, and appealed to advantage. The wealth and beauty to be found in the room would have caused many a heart to bound with rapture, whether it was the misers or the lovers for both could there find that which gladdened them most, gold and beauty, wealth and youth. Each could gloat his eyes on that he held dearest. "'Did you ever witness a scene like this?' said Sir Francis Varney, as he led Miss Stevens to a seat, and handed her refreshments. "'Did you ever behold one in which was collected so much beauty and youth?' "'There are many happy faces,' said Mary Stevens. "'And hearts too, I hope,' said Varney. I hope so, too, replied Mary. There are several here who have never been to a ball before. Tis their debut in life, and a fine and lovely commencement it is. And if all their future years should be such a round of pleasure and gaiety as this, they needs must be happy. I'm sure they must. People here seem to wish to make each other happy. And if they strive in heart, they must succeed in doing so, and in making themselves happy, too. No doubt they do. And you, Miss Stevens, would you not make yourself happy when you make others happy? inquired Sir Francis Varney. I certainly do feel happy when I am an instrument in the hands of another doing good, and seeing it really gives others happiness. That is one of the noblest ends of life. And one which you, Sir Francis, have pursued to some purpose. You ought to be happy if any man can claim happiness. I am in one respect, but then there is a great void in life which has to be filled. When that void is in the affections, can it be surprising that sorrow and grief are there? I cannot give you an answer, because I have no knowledge of such an existence. Had I, it would be otherwise, but I cannot say yea or nay. Well, said Sir Francis, it is so. That void is in my heart, and, before I saw you, I felt it not. But now— he paused. But now I feel it, feel it deeply, and I shall ever do so unless, but I hardly dare say more, my heart will never again know sorrow, and never again feel tranquil. Wants and wishes have sprung up which, until now, have never presented themselves in the shape of possibilities, much less probabilities, and which now are realities. This is a strange conversation, Sir Francis. 
It is, Miss Stevens, and I feel it to be so. But, unfortunately, I have a certain difficulty to overcome, which, perhaps, accident, more than courage, will enable me to break through. But, to speak plainly, before I saw you, the whole world was alike to me. I cared not for one more than another. But, now the world has new charms. I have new hopes and wishes. God knows if they are to be dissipated, like the morning mist before the glories of the rising sun. Love has made sad havoc on my heart, and to love and despair is the bitterest lot humanity can fall into. Men can bear all that adverse fate may entail upon him, but that saps at the foundation of the superstructure, our love of life, without which society could not hold together, and, with disappointed love, there is no love of existence. Indeed, Sir Francis, I regret to hear it. Will you prevent it? I cannot now answer you any such question if I were inclined to do so. I have not the power. See, Sir Francis, there is another set. Will you dance? No, I do not think I will dance any more tonight, but I shall be glad to rejoin my sister and brother. I will lead you to them with pleasure, but will you allow me to name this matter to Captain Fraser? I have no right to dictate to you, Sir Francis, said Mary with evident embarrassment, much less would I do so, or endeavor to do so to one to whom I owe so much, and yet I fear it will be fruitless. There, yonder, are your friends. As Sir Francis spoke, he pointed to another end of the room, to which he was leading her, and which was occupied by many of the most fashionable and beautiful. They also had to pass down a lane of fashionables who were occupying seats, having been fatigued by dancing, many not having danced at all, but come to keep watchful and argus eyes upon the sons and daughters whom they brought with them. These, at least, noticed them. All eyes were fixed upon them, and Sir Francis, certainly with an air of triumph, led the beautiful Mary Stevens towards her friends, who were gazing at them with attention. Mary thought herself somewhat awkwardly situated, and knew not how to release herself and also felt that any attempt of the kind would really be as ungracious as it would be ungrateful, and so resigned herself. A few yards more, and then she was once again in the company of her friends, but not released from Sir Francis, for he seated himself by her side with the ease of one who was well accustomed to their society and of those around them. "'Well, Sir Francis,' said Mrs. Fraser, "'you have not been unnoticed in the ballroom.' You have created quite a sensation. Your dancing is superior, and your tall figure has set you off. You mistake, Mrs. Fraser. The object of such general attention was no other than your beautiful sister, my fair partner. Don't make her vain. That, indeed, would be a misfortune. But she has such an excellent capacity of mind that she runs no danger of such a misfortune. But even if it were not so, there would be much excuse. You are flattering, Sir Francis. Not I, I assure you. How do you find yourself? I am getting fatigued. My recent journeys must plead an excuse for my weariness at such a time and in such a place as this. I am not surprised at this, considering how you have been riding about for many days past. Would you choose, would you choose to retire tonight and remain later on another occasion? I think, said Captain Fraser, it may be as well. What do you say, my dear? I am quite willing. 
And so am I, said Mary. Indeed, I would much sooner we left early, if midnight can be called early. It is much past that hour now. Then I think we are decided upon going. Very well, said Sir Francis. Then I will obtain a carriage for our use, and then we shall retire to our homes. If you please, Sir Francis. Varney then rose, and went out for the purpose of procuring what was wanted, and, by the aid of a little silver, he soon obtained what he desired, and then returned to inform his friends of the success of his mission. They then left the ballroom, and proceeded at once to enter the carriage, which was so placed that they could at once enter without any inconvenience, and they soon gained their hotel, and, after a slight repast, they separated. It was late next morning when Sir Francis Varney entered the room in which he usually took breakfast with the Frasers, but, though late, he only met Captain Fraser. "'I am afraid, Captain Fraser,' said Varney, "'I have kept you all. Perhaps the ladies are gone out?' "'No, no, they have not yet come down. Indeed, had you been in five minutes earlier than this, you would not have found me here.' "'Well, I know not the reason, but I slept well myself.' To be sure, said Sir Francis, I did not fall readily to sleep, and that may account for it. Indeed, and you do not sleep sound? Usually, I may say generally, but sometimes some reflections keep the mind actively employed against one's own wishes. They do so, Sir Francis. I have myself found that to be the case, but I am very sorry my female folks do not come down. Nay, nay, Captain Fraser, do not wish that on my account. I am rather pleased they are not down than otherwise. Indeed, Sir Francis. Yes, replied Sir Francis, as it leaves me an opportunity of saying a few words to you, Captain Fraser, upon a subject that concerns myself nearly and deeply. You amaze me, Sir Francis. I had hoped you might have had some guess at it, Captain Fraser, as it would have helped me through my task for my heart almost fails me when I think of the possibility of want of success. My want of nerve is not habitual. I can depose to so much, Sir Francis. You showed courage and nerve where courage and nerve were most wanted. Ah, well, Captain Fraser, if I had been brought up to your noble profession, I should have been better able to make an impression. But I will do my best." but the subject is a grave one, as it relates to my feelings toward your sister-in-law, Miss Mary Stevens. Indeed, Sir Francis. Yes, Captain Fraser, I, who have passed through so many ordeals of beauty, have at last been compelled to bow before the shrine of beauty. I am a devoted and humble admirer of Miss Stevens' charms and virtues. Well, Sir Francis? I now beg your permission to visit her and be accepted in your family in the character of one who ardently wishes and desires to become a member of it by means of an union between myself and that young lady. Personally, Sir Francis, I have the greatest pleasure in hearing you say so much. Then I am likely to be fortunate. So far as my approbation and my consent are concerned, Sir Francis, you certainly are successful. But according to the vulgar proverb, as one swallow makes no summer, so one individual's consent is not decisive where two are required to concur. Certainly, Captain Fraser, I was not wishing to put the young lady aside, but having your consent, I may go on to endeavor to obtain the happiness I so much look forward to. 
but I may count upon your good offices? You may, most certainly. And your amiable lady? Yes, I think I may say she will unite with me in using all due means of aiding you in your wishes. But here she is. At that moment Mrs. Fraser entered the apartment, and advancing to Sir Francis, offering him her hand and saying, Sir Francis, how do you do this morning? I am afraid I have kept you. Ah, I see you are alone with Captain Fraser. Where is my sister? Mary has not yet come down, said Fraser. Ah, we are both late, I think. I am, madame, but you have come at a right moment. Have I? Why do you reckon it so? Because I was just at that moment speaking of you, and here you are, so that I can speak to you, which is much better. Well, so it is, but what is it about? Your amiable and lovely sister. Ah, that is what you men always say. It is just what Captain Fraser said to me. Then I may hope for a like success? I don't understand, said Mrs. Fraser doubtfully. Why, I was saying to Captain Fraser, if he could obtain your aid in my behalf in an attack upon your sister's heart. I have been unable to hold out any longer. I am deeply and desperately in love. Well, that is a very dangerous disorder, and I must see what Mary can do to console you in your affliction. You will indeed deserve my best thanks if you will do so, and, should success crown our efforts, how deep a debt of gratitude will mine be to you. How much are we not yours already? But my whole happiness will be through your efforts. Oh, no, no. Remember, you said but just now it was my sister you meant to wed, and not me. Good God, how could you imagine I had such a profane thought? Ha, ha. Sir Francis, I must see what I can do with Mary. But she comes, another of the dramatis personae. Mary Stevens at that moment entered the room, and felt almost abashed at finding all eyes riveted upon her without speaking, and she advanced towards the fire, having made an inclination to Sir Francis, saying as she came down, I fear I have been the means of keeping you waiting. I am sorry you did so, but I was really not aware of the hour. Nor were we, said Mrs. Fraser, and it appears we have all been late, save Sir Francis, who, like a true knight, has been at his post, I don't know how long before I came down myself. Nay, don't you listen to any charges, Miss Stevens. I have been here but a very short time, though I ought to have been down here earlier. It is fortunate, then, you did, Sir Francis, and I am relieved of the charge of detaining breakfast to an unusual hour. It matters but little when it is had, so long as it is to be had when it is wanted. What say you, Sir Francis? I believe that the grand object of all our wishes and wants is to have what we want when we want it. An eastern potentate could not be better served, or more powerful, or richer, than to be able to say so much. You are his equal. I am in some things, certainly, replied Sir Francis, but I want an empress, and thus, you see, I am dethroned and rendered powerless by a few words. You can obtain even that. Not exactly, for she whom I might choose might refuse to become mine. Then I am a weary wanderer upon earth's surface. I am no longer one among men, but a mere existence, moving about without filling any allotted position. This is very doleful, Sir Francis, said Mary. 
If you say much more, you will spoil your appetite for breakfast. Mary, that is a cruel cut. You did not mean it, I dare say, but it is a sufficient rebuke. I must come to plain speaking, and at once hope you will recollect the subject upon which I spoke to you in the ballroom last night. I do, Sir Francis. It would be affectation to say I did not. Well, I have sought Captain and Mrs. Fraser's permission to endeavor to win those smiles and good wishes that I so much desire should be mine. You can never deserve less than good wishes from me, said Mary Stevens. You cannot have less. I am too deeply indebted. There now, pray permit me to interrupt you. I must not hear any more of that. I did my duty on that occasion. Occasions? Well, occasions and I hope no gentleman, having the power, would have done otherwise. And if so, I have only done what others would have done under the same circumstances, a very ordinary act indeed. You are making less of it than it deserves, were it only for our sakes. I see you won't entertain my wishes seriously, but recollect what is sport to you is death to me. The affections of a blighted heart cannot weigh lightly when the evil is consummated. Do not think, Sir Francis, I wish to evade or to slight any wishes you may form. As far as I am concerned, they are a great honor to me, but I am yet too young and averse to anything of the kind yet to feel justified in seriously entertaining such matters as those you allude to. That indeed must be a mistake. You are not too young. Let me hope that you will not refuse to allow me the satisfaction and pleasure of your company." That would indeed be a greater misfortune than could otherwise happen to me to be deprived suddenly of that, I assure you. Certainly I cannot feel otherwise than gratitude to you, Sir Francis, and derive that pleasure in your society which others feel, and which all your friends must experience. But we will say no more upon this subject, except that I have given as serious and positive an answer as I can. There were many other observations made during breakfast time to much the same effect, but it is unnecessary to record them, and the breakfast passed off as pleasantly as possible under the circumstances. End of chapter 153 Recording by Tricia G.